Hey guys, it's Bryce, and on today's show, we're going to cover our overall rookie dynasty rankings, listener questions, and late round tight ends for 2020. We're now on Apple Podcasts, so drop us a five-star review and let us know what you think of the pod to help boost our ratings. Let's roll. This is Darren Waller, and you're listening to the Tutty Talk Podcast. Streaming from beautiful Portland, Oregon, for all things fantasy football. This is the Tutty Talk Podcast. Barkley with a burst. Barkley down the sideline. Saquon Barkley. Rolling checks and checks it himself. Looking turned back and forth. Oh! He broke his ankles. He did what? It's a C-Mac attack. I'm really not into dreams anymore. Okay? I'm into nightmares. A lot of people ain't going to be able to take that over and 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 over again. You like that? You like that? Here are your hosts, Bryce Wells. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna put you on blast. Kevin Nelson. It's a damn shame because Pete Carroll is wasting Russell Wilson and there's nothing we can do about it. And Chase Daskalos. No! Lamar Jackson is gonna be a top five quarterback. Welcome back to the Tutty Talk podcast, everyone. I just want to let you know, I can talk rookies all day. We can talk rookies all day. But, you know, we've been covering them the past few months pretty extensively. And now I'm just ready for the season to start so we can start breaking down these guys in more detail. You know, we've had our rookie drafts, and we have them a little bit earlier than everyone else does. Um, we like to do it the week after. We've talked about that a little bit before. Um, and and I, like I said, I just want to break these guys down because all I see is J.K. Dobbins finishing in the top 15 and Brandon Ayuk finishing in that wide receiver 30 to 40 range. I don't know if Kevin or, or Chase would agree to disagree with that, but uh, you know, it, it's really hard evaluating players in the offseason after the draft. Uh, I, I personally have a love-hate relationship with coaches and GMs just piping up their players after they draft them. Really just sways the market in Dynasty. It just moves these guys around and and people react to what coaches and these GMs are saying, and and uh, we just don't know what these guys can do yet. But uh, I digress. Chase, how are you doing tonight? I am doing fantastic. Shout out to my guy, Las Vegas Raiders tight end Darren Waller for the dope uh, pod intro. Reach out to him on Instagram, and he hit me back, and super excited about all that. So, yeah, I'm doing great. Yeah, maybe we can snag a couple more players and really pipe up that uh, that intro. Uh, Kev, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. Yeah, pumped for another pod. Rookie talk, kind of wrapping it up with some rankings, and and we'll throw together a little graphic, uh, throw it on social media with all these guys kind of in one place. So if you lose track of where somebody was, no need to back up in the pod. Just go follow us on uh, Instagram, Twitter. Wrapping it up, that's, that's a good way to put it. Uh, we haven't done rankings, overall rankings. We've done positional rankings, but we haven't thrown all these guys together in a pool and really figured out which guys do we like more than the rest. Uh, doesn't matter by position at this point. Uh, most of these guys have pretty equal value. When we go through this tonight, we are talking about players in super flex and two quarterback leagues along with half point PPR. So keep that in mind when we go down these rankings so it makes a little more sense why we have certain players ahead of quarterbacks or quarterbacks ahead of certain players because overall the value of the quarterback matters more in these types of leagues, but it to me it equals it out. So that being said, number one on our list, we have pretty much said everything we needed to say about Jonathan Taylor. Uh, Jonathan Taylor in our leagues – is the consensus number one. We have guys moving up to get that pick so they can specifically draft that man because he is on that Saquon Barkley um, talent and athleticism type of trajectory type of player. So in other drafts, Saquon, you know, in his class went number one. Geis went number two. That was the consensus there. And for me, if he's on that level, then he has to be the overall 101 in rookie drafts, right? Yes. Like, without a doubt, without any doubt, question in my mind. You said guys are trading up in our leagues to go get him. It's me. 
I'm the one trading <laughs> up for this guy in both leagues. I don't give a shit what it costs. I'm trading up for Jonathan Taylor. If he's compared to Saquon and Zeke and the best running backs in the league currently, like, why wouldn't I do that? And both of my teams are running back needy teams. So it just makes perfect sense for me to sell the farm, if that's what it takes, which it hasn't, to move up to go get Jonathan Taylor. Like, I get Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has this perfect landing spot. I get he's going to have an immediate impact. I get that Jonathan Taylor might not be that impact in year one. But the longevity of what you have in Jonathan Taylor is a top five dynasty running back in the making. Like, behind that offensive line and with whoever they bring in at quarterback after Phillip Rivers, like, it's a perfect fit for your fantasy team. He ran a 4-3-9 at the combine. He's 5'10". He's 225. Like, it's, it's perfect. He's perfect. So the production that you saw in college, the amount of carries, the him catching the ball out of the backfield as you know in his final season, it it all leads to NFL production. So I I don't really buy in on the CEHs as, as number one. I could see you putting a quarterback at number one in your rankings, but with how high on we all are on Jonathan Taylor, it's a no brainer for us to put him at number one. Yeah, we've said what we said. We're not even going to dive into the stats and his profile and whatever because we've said it so many times how good Jonathan Taylor is. Even in a two-quarterback league, super flex league, there's not a single draft out there where if I'm the 101, I'm pushing the button on Joe Burrow or Tua before I take Jonathan Taylor. You have to take Jonathan Taylor at 101. He's a transcendent running back. Why I think Taylor belongs ahead of the quarterbacks, the top two quarterbacks, is because – one, I don't love the landing spots for Tua, Tua or Burrow. It's not like Tua has these established wide receivers catching the ball. Burrow is just going to a bad team, but is pretty stacked at wide receiver and and uh, running back, so he's got some options. But needless to say, Jonathan Taylor is running behind one of the best lines of football. We've said it a million times. He's going to run across the league, and, and it's, it's going to be pretty clear by the end of 2020 that Jonathan Taylor sits at number one. Moving on to number two, the quarterback we are highest on, Tua Tagovailoa. So with with Tua, we've talked about why we've had him over Burrow, and and the simple reason is he has more upside, right? You know, the upside question's tough, especially when you're talking about Joe Burrow coming off the season that that, that he just had. I mean, I think a lot of people would say, oh, what do you mean? The, the Doesn't clearly Joe Burrow have more upside? Um but when you really look at the numbers and look at how good Tua was as a passer um, in college, as a freshman, his, his, it's his touchdown to INT ratio that really jumps off the page to me, um, especially I know Joe Burrow played in the SEC, but I mean, he did it for two years. These three years that Tua put together is incredible. Um, as a freshman, 11 touchdowns, two INTs. As a sophomore, 43 touchdowns, six INTs. And then this last year, and he didn't play all the games, 33 touchdowns with three INTs. So his TD to INT ratio is, is unbelievable, and it literally just shows how accurate of a passer he is. So that's the guy that I want on my team. Yeah, I mean, we can't forget about the tank for Tua narrative um, that we heard all of last season before, before it even started, and uh, Miami was projected to be the team to take him. It, I, I understand why people are taking Burrow over Tua, but – at the end of the day, Tua is is the better is the better quarterback. You, you like you said, three years that Tua put together has been uh, pretty impressive. And, and on on the other end of it, Joe Burrow put up the greatest season in college football history as a quarterback. But he only did it for one year, so it's a real um, you really just have to figure out and, and um, kind of decide which hand you're going to go with because you can make a case for either one. I don't think I don't think it's um, that far apart. But I definitely think Tua has an edge, and I think we're all in agreement that we really like what Miami is um, is building and how they're building it, and and I think I think that's that's the ultimate deciding factor. The longer term value here uh, points to points to Tua. Totally, uh, we've talked about it on the last pod just the the team building that Miami's done in comparison to the team building or lack thereof in in Cincinnati and the, what Tua has to work with is just more solid right now. You know, he's, he's getting a better offensive line next year. They're going to have a running back next year. They're going to have a wide receiver, but the guys that they have now, like he's got Mike Gusecki there at tight end too. So a lot of, a lot of stuff to like right now in Miami. And then the, the defense is getting really gassed up with the moves that they made in free agency. So in a 
easily competitive division this year, I would say, with New England losing all that it's lost and Buffalo kind of at the, the head of the AFC East now. We'll see later on, but we kind of have a bold prediction for Miami um, if all things go well and and two is playing, of course. You know, that's a huge factor with the hip. But um, yeah, number two, easy, easy decision for us is we've had him at QB1 since Tank for Tua, like you said. All right, number three, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Yeah, we obviously aren't the biggest on Clyde Edwards Hilaire, but KC forced our hand. Um, I wouldn't knock the pick if someone wanted to take Burrow ahead of Clyde Edwards Hilaire, um, but he's on the best offense and he's going to be their PPR back, the pass catching guy. It's a pretty safe floor for Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I think that role really solidifies what he's going to be able to do in fantasy. Um, let's not forget about Chase pointing out last week, I believe, that we would be shitting on Clyde Edwards Hilaire had he landed on any other team. He's just, when it comes to all these backs, he's just not as talented. He's not the typical uh, the size and, and speed uh, for, for a running back that we're looking for. Um, is there anything you guys have to add to that? I don't know the exact data here. I might dig it up after this and and talk about it next episode. I want to know if there's ever been like a Clyde Edwards Alaire is five seven two oh seven. I want to know if there's ever been another running back like with his similar build that's been taking taken in the first round. I think it's interesting because as you said, and like and like what I've said is that he's not like a first round build bell cow do it all kind of guy. It's literally just we like his talent, his pass catching talent. Um He's a good running back, but he's not a first-round talent, and it's Kansas City forcing our hand at taking this guy. We, you basically have to have him at three. I think we're giving KC the benefit of the doubt here. You know, they just came off that Super Bowl win. It, you know, no matter what they pick here, it's not like they could do any do any wrong. You know, I, I think I think the first-round pick for Clyde is is definitely a reach, and I think it kind of feels like Mahomes had quite a bit of a say there. You know, maybe he had a little bit of. Um, a little bit of leverage in that organization when it came to picking that kind of guy. Uh, I I just don't understand why why Swift wasn't taken ahead of him. It would have been a much better pick. Yeah, I'd, I mean, I would say a couple different running backs were a better pick than Clyde Edwards-Helaire. I think that they kind of got caught up into their own narrative and their own like desire of like, what do we need? Well, we need a pass catching running back. Okay, let's go get the best one at that in the draft. When maybe there are guys that are better than Clyde Edwards Hilaire at doing that. They just didn't do it as much in college. So I think the the production that you saw from Clyde and that offense obviously last year at LSU was, you know, phenomenal and record breaking and earth shattering. It was everything. You know, Heisman Trophy winner and receiver of the year, Blitnikoff and Jamar Chase. Like everything was perfect for that team. But how does he fit in when things aren't perfect? And you know if something happens to Patrick Mahomes again or something happens to Tyree Kill, I don't think Clyde Edwards Hilaire is as good as a first round pick says he is. And in dynasty value, especially because things happen in the NFL. Nothing happened to LSU last year. It was all roses and butterflies and rainbows. You know, it was perfect. I don't know if that's really the outcome that Clyde is going to see for his whole career. I can guarantee you he's not going to see that for his whole career. And somebody like Jonathan Taylor, who we have slotted ahead of him, he is a true running back. He doesn't need everything to be perfect. Look at guys like Saquon. Look at guys like Christian McCaffrey and Zeke. When things go wrong on their team, they lose a lineman, they lose their quarterback, they lose, lose, lose other guys on the field, they're still the best player on the field. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, when he steps on the field, he's not the best player on the field. Number four, Joe Burrow. Kind of impossible to put him any lower when we're talking about Superflex and two quarterback leagues. Um, this seems to be you know, the rock bottom spot for where Joe Burrow's going in drafts is that, that number four pick. And if he goes any lower than that, you've got to just smash that pick and, and take him. Uh, we talked about last week Justin Jefferson falling to the 207. There's no point in trading out of that pick at that at that spot. You might as well just take the talent because the value is so overwhelm, overwhelmingly in your favor that you know I look at the rest of this list and I, I don't see a player that I would like to have ahead of Joe Burrow in these types of leagues. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy that he's fallen to to the fourth pick in a couple of our leagues, or at least we project him to maybe fall um, in this next one too, that we're going to draft this weekend. But um, yeah, and, and on a lot of drafts and in most drafts, he should be the number one pick with the super flex. So uh, we've got him here. I think maybe a little bit of recency bias from what we've had in, in drafts 
uh, with Jonathan Taylor and Tua and, and Clyde ahead of him. But uh, fall into four, you just got to take the best player on the board. And and for us at this point in time, it's Joe Burrow. Number five, J.K. Dobbins. Uh, this is another spot where I feel like Dobbins fits right into, you know, he's clearly to me the third best running back. He has debatably the best landing spot out of all the running backs. I know people are going to say KC, but we're talking about the Ravens here. This is the uh, th- this is a team that rushed the ball the most in the league, and there's plenty uh, of touches to go around, and I'm going to kind of go into this a little bit. So last year, Baltimore averaged 36.8 rushing attempts per game. Mark Ingram had 11.8 rushes per game. Lamar Jackson, 10.35 rushes per game. That's a total of 22 rushes. I just rounded down that .15, doesn't matter, uh, between the both of them combined. So that leaves about 15 carries available between Dobbins, Gus Edwards, and Justice Hill. Now, I'm under the impression that Edwards is just getting shuffled out of this rotation, and Justice Hill is going to be the guy that actually gets more touches, whether it's passing or um, rushing. Um, But if Ingram can run for 1,018 yards in a season, averaging 11.8 carries per game, don't we think that Dobbins can get close to that 900 to 1,000-yard range if he's touching the ball 10-plus carries, not counting receptions? I mean, to me, that seems like a Miles Sanders trajectory. You know, you look through the first 10 games of Miles Sanders uh, of 2019, and he's not rushing the ball 15 times a game. You know, it's it's far less than that. So, And, and then at the end of the year, it ran, they ramped it up. But I think on this offense, they're, everybody's talking about Mark Ingram's going to be the hot start, and then Dobbins is going to be the one finishing this that year off. So... In my mind, I want to chalk him up to that 900, 2,000 yards rushing. I mean, that might seem a little steep for some people, but when you look at how many times this team's rushing the ball, the fact that Gus Edwards is is a nobody now and that Justice Hill is probably going to be receiving some of the of, of the, t- the touches there, um, I just can't imagine a scenario where J.K. Dobbins doesn't actually have a, a decent first season. I think that at the very least he's a – RB2 and RB3 flex play, and that's exactly what you're looking for in your first year. So you mentioned the Miles Sanders trajectory, and I'm exactly on that same page too, and it's the situation there that's the same as well. You know, Miles Sanders was just waiting behind Jordan Howard, and everyone who had Miles Sanders on their team, it felt like you were just you were just waiting and waiting and waiting, like, come on, give this guy the ball. We know he's good. I feel the exact same way about J.K. Dobbins, is that we know he's good. We're going to have to wait halfway through the season until Mark Ingram gets hurt and Baltimore finally realizes that instead of giving J.K. Dobbins eight, nine touches a game, he's going to get boosted up to 15, 16, 17. And, I mean, the sky is the limit for this guy. It's unbelievable. They run the ball so many times. You have Lamar Jackson running read options, freezing linebackers. Um, I saw a statistic that J.K. Dobbins at Ohio State was the most successful running back running out of um, read options and RPOs. And guess what team runs the most read options and RPOs in the NFL? Baltimore Ravens. I mean, it's just set up perfectly for J.K. Dobbins to smash. We're going to have to be a little patient with it. Um, Baltimore likes Mark Ingram. He's a good guy, good teammate. They all get along. It's just going to be that similar. You're just going to have to wait halfway through the season. He's going to get faded out. J.K. Dobbins, he's just going to smash. All right, number six might surprise some people, might not. We got CeeDee Lamb here, and I'm sure you were expecting an RB, but I don't think so. CeeDee Lamb is a generational talent with a generational trajectory. I hope that statement doesn't bite me in the ass, but with a QB that throws 30 times a game, it's pretty hard and and, and Chase, you you pretty much broke down the projections from last week's podcast for the 2020 season. I, I just don't think that – I feel like he's got a safe floor, especially if they're running him out of slot. I, I'm not sure where they're playing him, but if they're running him, out, running him out of slot, that's where he naturally plays. There's no doubt in my mind that CeeDee Lamb is going to have a, a solid 2020 season. Yeah, stopping the Dallas offense is going to be a serious problem now with, with CeeDee Lamb as – they're number three, number two receiver. We had somebody comment um, on the IGTV that we posted. It was it was the bit that Chase did on CD's targets and what we kind of project for him um, looking forward in 2020. And he's like, well, don't sleep on Gallup. Like, what about Gallup? We're not sleeping on Gallup. 
We're just saying CeeDee Lamb is a better football player than him and not better than Amari Cooper yet, but is right there with him. You know, he, he if he landed at a different spot, we'd be talking about CeeDee Lamb being a number one wide receiver on pretty much I mean, virtually all but a couple of teams. And yet people are saying this is a bad landing spot for the team that threw for 4,900 yards last year and had over 38 passing plays per game. Are you fucking kidding me? This is a great landing spot. It He's going to play in the slot, and you got to worry about Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper on the edges with Ezekiel Elliott running up the middle. Who's going to be open? You know, where do you want to put the point of emphasis? And I think early on, teams are going to say, okay, well, let the rookie beat us. The rookie's going to beat you a lot over and over and over again. And then it turns into what I started this with. How do you stop the Dallas offense? So this one's tough because we've been preaching um, and dynasty um, startups and rookie drafts, you know, to hammer away at RB, those are, at running back, those are the cornerstones of your dynasty team. Um, so the next guy on the list is a running back, but it, this is just such a tough decision because of that philosophy. Um, you know, but we're at to the point where are you taking the running back four or are you going to take the wide receiver one and then comparing their situations and what their lifetime value looks like? You just you, you have to go with CD Lamb. I love that. That's actually, that's perfect. I mean, you, we just talked about landing spots. You just mentioned that. I, DeAndre Swift's our number seven. He's with the Detroit Lions. So if anything, you know, CeeDee Lamb has has the best landing spot out of almost any, every player in this draft besides maybe Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. So with DeAndre Swift at number seven, I think people are going to wonder why we have him over Akers. I personally think that there's less competition for touches. I know everyone thinks that carry on, you know, still can be the back that Detroit once envisioned him to be, but he's made it clear that he's not a bell cow. DeAndre Swift could be. DeAndre Swift is more versatile than carry on Johnson. And I like him over Cam because Cam's got to battle out, you know, Malcolm Brown, um, Henderson, who was a third round pick for the Rams last year. And Swift just has to bat- battle out Carryon Johnson, who's been hurt every single season he's played. So if Carryon goes down again, they have no one else. I mean, Ty Johnson's back there. Uh, I don't know if Zach Zenner's still there. I have no clue. It doesn't really matter. But uh, Swift, you know, after the draft happened, I I put down on my notebook. I thought he had the best chance for opportunity in the in, on this team out of all the running backs, uh, being able to touch the ball whether it's receiving or rushing, I, I think Swift is is the guy that I love the most for opportunity, but I can still see why people are very cautious about drafting him. I, I totally understand. I'm, I'm in the same boat. I drafted him, and I didn't draft him. I traded for him, but um, I, I totally get it, get the, uh, the, the worry behind uh, DeAndre Swift. All right, number eight, Cam Akers. Right after DeAndre Swift, we kind of just covered that. So let's move on to number nine, and that's Keyshawn Vaughn. Keyshawn Vaughn. We could end up regretting having him this low. Um, you could see a scenario where Keyshawn Vaughn is this red zone monster in Tampa Bay. You know, they're going to be able to move the ball down the field through the air. So what is Keyshawn Vaughn's role going to be on this team? It's probably going to be running in these touchdowns in the in the red zone, even though you know, Godwin and Mike Evans are are, are top targets for uh, scoring touchdowns, but um, the the Buccaneers desperately needed a running back. Ronald Jones didn't do too bad last year, but I I just feel like he has even less competition than than Swift or Akers. I I just think he's a lesser talent, and that's why we have him below these two running backs. Yeah, and I I think you have to put him you know, no higher than this because he was taken in the third round. The other guys were second round picks. So, I mean, like, yeah, he went to Tampa Bay. He's going to be with Tom Brady. That offense is super high powered, but you can't put him ahead of a guy that was the third pick of the second round. You know, DeAndre Swift was, was the first running back off the board on, on day two. So you can't really justify that, but really quick on Keyshawn Vaughn. The other night I was, I drafted him in the league. So I was kind of gushing over him. And, you know, a lot of the highlights that you see from him are him pounding it in and him being super physical and whatever. I think what gets slept on a lot is he's pretty good at catching the ball out of the backfield. He's great in pass protection, and he ripped off a ton of really long runs, both at Illinois and at Vanderbilt. So I don't see him as like this like brute force Marshawn Lynch, like slam it in running back, you know, at the goal line, and that's all he's really used for. I see him as like an every down 
three down back. Like he he's got all the tools to be that type of guy. He's 5'10, 215 pounds. Like he's a little bit older, but I feel like his career kind of showed off everything that you want in a running back that wasn't just a, a one trick pony. That some of the running backs that, you know, like AJ Dillon and stuff like that. I know physical runner can rip off some long runs too, but I think Keyshawn Vaughn is a more all around talent than what he gets credit for. So number nine inside the top ten, pretty easy. And and like you said, Bryce, we could be regretting having him this low on the list, but right now, as of May 13th, you can't justify putting him ahead of some of these other guys. Totally agree. Uh, Number 10, Jerry Judy. Uh, We, I think as a collective, are higher on Justin Jefferson, but we can't ignore how good Jerry Judy is. I mean, he was... The the 2019 season, he just just balled out. In, In 2018 season, he was great, too. Um, it's just that landing spot. People are so, so worried about Denver and Cortland Sutton and Drew Locke and Noah Fant. And it's here's here's the news flash. Jerry Judy is the best talent in this offense. The best. He's better than Cortland Sutton because when Cortland Sutton came into the league, he was raw. Jer- Jerry Judy is refined, polished, ready to go. He is the guy in Denver. The bigger concern is Drew Locke. I want to let everyone know in the five games that Drew Locke played, he was 4-1. and one. Now, we'll go down this list here. 23-20 to 20 win at home versus the Chargers. Okay. 38-24 win at Houston. All right. They, he takes his first L to Kansas City, rightfully so, on the road. Then he wins at home versus the Lions, 27-17, then beats the Raiders at home, 16-15. Now, you look at those games, you're not super impressed. Lions, Raiders, Chargers, sure. But all that matters here is that he got those wins. He got them W's, boys. And uh, I'm just saying, uh, and I've been saying it every every single podcast, Drew Locke is going to be better than it, what people think he's going to be in 2020. He may not be great, but he's not going to suck. He's going to be slightly above average. And that's going to be good enough for Jerry Judy. Um because Jerry Judy is is what's going to propel this offense into what they want it to be, and and that's where I'm at. Tim Tebow won games too. Hey, <laughs> hey, 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 we don't talk bad about Tim Tebow. He got us to a playoff appearance, <laughs> and that was the first time in eight years at that point. So I don't want to hear that bad mouth. I love Tim Tebow as a guy, but back to Judy. <laughs> Personally, I think I'm probably the lowest on him out of out of the three of us. I have him yeah. at four, a wide receiver four. I understand. He's a second wide receiver off the board. Um, personally, if I'm on the clock, I'm taking Jalen Rager, Justin Jefferson, and Jerry Judy. I think I've mentioned multiple times that that target, although he yeah, he probably has the best out of KJ Hamler, who's the second round pick, Cortland Sutton, a second round pick, and Noah Fant, um, I think was in the first. 20s of the first round uh, last year. Judy does have the best draft capital. I think it's just that target competition there, and they're all young. None of them are old or expiring. It's just that that really puts Jefferson and Rager ahead for me. Don't you? Oh, sorry, Kev. No, I think if the situation at quarterback was more tightened up, Judy would be much higher on the list and and right up there with CD. Um, because I do, I do totally agree with you, Bryce. Like he's the most polished of of anybody on that Denver roster to, to catch the football, but his quarterback is severely lacking um, four wins or, and his last five games or, or whatever. What we saw from Drew Locke was not convincing that he is ready to be the guy. And we're going to have to see if he's the guy in the first four games of this year and probably longer than that. You know, it, it takes a long time to develop and become an NFL quarterback. And Drew Locke is not that yet. And they're putting all their, their time, effort, and energy into making this guy the guy and putting all the tools to be successful around him with Jerry Judy and Hamler and Sutton. And I mean, the list is amazing. They've got a great offense building in Denver, but it goes as far as their quarterback takes them. And, you know, to have Judy at 10, I think is, is pretty conservative and, and fair. It's not, you know, he's our number two wide receiver. We're not saying don't draft Jerry Judy, but you kind of have to be bought into Drew Locke and the Broncos offense being successful to take Judy over Jefferson, Rager, maybe even Mims at, at, at some point. So uh, Bryce, you're high on him. He's your guy. You like him. You're a big Bronco fan. I totally get that and understand it. But the the buy-in on Drew Locke is where I draw the line, and I'm just not there yet. I wouldn't say I'm high on him. I would just say that people are expecting him to be this, you know, bottom third 
of the league of quarterbacks, and, and I just don't think he's there. I think he's much higher than that. I think that he's not gotten enough credit for what he did in those five games. He won them games. Uh, that's that's the fact right there. And then when you get to play the Raiders and the Chargers twice a year, that's going to help too. Um, KC obviously going to be a tough one. But Drew Lock uh, against the Chargers secondary. That might be kind of well, tough. He, he beat them last year, so uh, I mean not <laughs> not their secondary. <laughs> they they what they were missing one player, one of their best yep. players, but the best player on the field. <laughs> the best player on the field. I don't think he's better than Vaughn Miller. Derwin James. I don't think Derwin James is better than Hall of Fame Vaughn Miller. Yes, I said on the that field. Is- on the field, like that is apples to oranges, though. Yeah, how do you, can you compare a safety? To well, he a, said, "Hey, he said best player on the field." And I'm saying Vaughn Miller is better than Dr- Derwin James on the field. When, yes, when yeah. Derwin James the is on the field, that, he's usually the best player on the field because Vaughn Miller's not on the field. He plays defense too. You said field. I'm incorporating incorporating <laughs> it all. Okay. Go Chase. So the 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 thing that worries me about Drew Locke is that he's underratedly wildly inaccurate. He played four years at Missouri, and as a freshman, albeit he has gotten better each year, his freshman completion percentage was 49%. Um, He played his sophomore year, 54%. Junior year, after playing for three years, sorry, after playing for two years in his third year, after playing three years, his completion percentage was 57%, and then he got to 62 as a senior. So he had a career completion percentage in college of 56%. That worries me a little bit. If you're Josh Allen in fantasy football, that's fine because Josh Allen is inaccurate, but he has that rushing upside, um, and, and you can start him as, I mean, Josh Allen's a top 10 dynasty quarterback now because of his rushing. I do think Drew Locke is a better passer than Josh Allen, but it kind of just shows, like, I think people are sort of hopping on the the Drew Locke train a little too early here and that he's not really that accurate of a passer and with his build i mean that i mean doesn't that kind of have to be his bread and butter i would say if josh allen can support john brown fantasy wise and make him a top 15 receiver i think drew lock can make jerry judy who's going to be the best receiver on that team his first season i think a top 25 receiver i think that that's very fair um and I think when Judy shines on the field and, and surpasses Cortland Sutton as the lead receiver, Drew Locke is going to rely on him more, and that's why I feel like Jerry Judy is a little bit safer than riskier compared to what people are saying. So I understand the hate. I totally do. I totally get it. I'm just saying I think I think it's a little too much. I think that there has been – a lot of shade thrown at Drew Locke's uh, direction, and I think I think uh, we we just gotta we gotta see we gotta we gotta wait and play it out. All right, we stayed on this too long. Justin Jefferson, number eleven. We love we love Justin Jefferson. Uh, this was my initial reaction, number one receiver out of the draft because I was down on the landing spot for Ceedee Lamb. Obviously, my opinion on that has changed, but Justin Jefferson is one of our favorites as a collective um, on this pod. And I think landing at 11 makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, pretty pretty safe to put him here. It's amazing how far he's fallen in a lot of leagues. Um, I mean, we saw him fall all the way to 207, for God's sakes, which is just criminal. Um, he's got the best path to be in a number one old receiver in front of him, team that likes to throw the football, pretty balanced offense, you know, taking the spot of a guy that had a top 20 season last year and has been really good for them and Stefan Diggs and he steps right into that role as a, a similar player do it all yeah <laughs> I like Justin Jefferson this year next year the year after that and the year after that and probably the year after that too he's really really good and dominated at LSU it's a perfect fit it's just such good value that you're getting if it's a 10 team league super and uh, uh, super flex, two quarterback, whatever, you're getting a first-round receiver in the second round of a rookie draft. There was two receivers who went in the first round last year, and Hollywood Brown was like the 26th pick, and Nikhil Harry was like the 32nd pick. And now you get this guy who, I mean, I don't remember exactly what it was, I think 121 or 122, and you're getting him in the second round of a rookie draft. And he's basically taking Stephon Diggs' spot. And Adam Thielen is 30-something years old and getting injured all the time. It's just like, it's such good value in the second round. The fact that he went at 207 in our draft is absolutely unbelievable because in a 
10 team, um, no, one QB league, he's going in the first round. All right, uh, number 12, Jalen Rager. I actually don't have a lot to say about Jalen Rager. I think he's a, a great talent. I don't love Carson Wentz, but I think Carson Wentz will be able to to supply him the volume. I, I'm not really that worried about Jalen Rager. There's just a couple guys I like more. Um, you guys have anything to add to Jalen Rager at 12? I mean, it's kind of ditto what we just said about number 11, right? Like yeah. Justin Jefferson, Jalen Rager, they were drafted back-to-back. We've got Jefferson slotted a, a little bit ahead just because I think the the role that he fills there is is a little bit greater than the role that Rager fills that hasn't been filled for so long in, in Philly. You know, they're desperate for a number one wide receiver. They, they just haven't had it. And Deshaun Jackson isn't that guy. Alshon Jeffrey was but isn't anymore. So Jefferson has a very great path to number one receiver, you know, status as well. And, and like Chase said, you're getting a number one wide receiver, a first round wide receiver in the second round at the 202 in a 10 man league or the last pick of the first round. So I think the value there is is super important. And when this guy falls to you, just take him. Yeah. Just just take your money and run. You know, don't trade out. Don't trade back for more picks. You know, we, we, we've seen it in so many leagues where guys are trying to trade back, trying to trade back. Okay. You can only accumulate so much value. When the best player on the board is Jalen Rager, just fucking do it. You know, just take the guy. All right, number 13, Justin Herbert. And I think this is probably about right. Um, We've been hesitant about Herbert. I like him a little bit more than you guys. Not a lot more, but a little bit more. Um, Him being at the 13th pick, does that make him a value pick? Does that make him the the value quarterback of this this, uh, 2020 season? Um, I feel like he's going earlier. In, in drafts other than ours, but uh, 13, that would, I mean, in 10-man league, that puts him at the 203, and um, in 12-man, that puts him at the 201. So does that seem about right? I hate to shit on the guy because he's from Eugene, he's from Oregon or whatever, but personally, I'm not touching Justin Justin Herbert. I had the chance to in our draft um, that we talked about last pod uh, where I ended up taking C.D. Lamb. But the analytical comps for this guy are not good at all in the group that he's paired with. Um, Blaine Gabbert and, God, what's his freaking name? Blake Bortles are the two that are popping with Justin Herbert in um, in analytical comps and stuff like that. So, like, I mean, does that guarantee he's going to be those guys? No, but it's just the it's their play style, their build college production, all that. He's just not popping in a lot of models. And I liked, I didn't like him before that. And I mean, that just reinforces it to me is that I'm just, I just can't ever see myself spending a pick on this guy. I'm going to let somebody else do it. Yeah. I think the, the weird thing to kind of piggyback off of that is like, they've made Tyrod Taylor seem like he's the guy and, and they keep reiterating that. And they said that before they took a quarterback and, now they're kind of saying it after and Herbert's going to have some time to learn and stuff. And, you know, we earlier this offseason, we we're saying, what if you went to Carolina? And of course, this is before Teddy B ended up there. He could jump in and be the guy and Matt Rule, a first year head coach. You know, you build around a rookie quarterback. It would have been perfect. And instead, he kind of goes to a situation where we don't know how much playing time he's going to get maybe over the first two years of his career. You know, with with Jordan Love, we've got him way down this list because he's not going to play for first one, two, three years of his career. Justin Herbert is kind of in the same boat. We we just don't really know. And with the two quarterbacks ahead of him, we know two is going to start as soon as he's healthy and ready. We know Burrow's a day one guy. They've already released Andy Dalton, and he's with the Cowboys now. So I think for me, you know, you, you could take a look at the the analytics and his build and who he can kind of compares to, and and all that's super important and, and valuable when you're making a pick here, especially early in the second round. But I want a guy that's kind of getting in there and and ready to go with a starting job quicker than than later you know i don't want to wait around if i'm spending this pick here especially with the guys that are still on the board all right pick 14 we got denzel mims pick 15 henry ruggs um i do want to say something about rugs i think we've covered mims pretty extensively unless you guys have something to add uh rugs is kind of one one thing i want to say we hated rugs pre-draft hated didn't want to touch him with a 10-foot pole goes to oakland we kind of we're kind of warming up to him. You hear more and more people talking about Henry Ruggs, big hands, blah blah blah. I mean, could he command the alpha dog receiving type of volume? You could see it. It's probably not likely in year one, but there's just not 
enough in Oakland. I keep saying Oakland. It's Las Vegas now. I'm sorry. Sorry, Raider fans. Don't care about you, but uh, I meant Las Vegas. Um, Ruggs, I, I, I feel like as every week goes by, I like him more and more because I'm seeing where he's fallen in these drafts. And, I mean, Ruggs is a great second-round pick, if you ask me. Uh, do you guys agree with that? Yeah, I'm going to say, we told you that Henry Ruggs was going to be the first wide receiver off the board and that the spot to take him was going to be in the middle of the second round in rookie drafts. I saw a stupid draft on Twitter. Some guy posting his fantasy draft, rookie draft results, <laughs> where Henry Ruggs went before Jonathan Taylor in a rookie draft. <laughs> and that's exactly the shit that we're talking about, where somebody has no clue what they're doing, sees that Henry Ruggs was the first wide receiver off the board, and they push the button on Henry Ruggs before Jonathan Taylor. It's absurd. So the 15 spot, the 15th best player for fantasy, Henry Ruggs, that's the perfect spot. We've preached that over and over and over again, and there's still people out there who are taking Henry Ruggs before Jonathan Taylor. It's absurd. All right. I think you nailed that. I mean, in, in fact, I think, I think um, you know, I don't think you could say it any better. I think Henry Ruggs has been covered can't wait to come back to this guy when the season starts. I think this will be a really good player to break down when that season kicks off. Uh, 16, LaVisca Chenault. 17, Brian Edwards. 18, T. Higgins. Anything you'd like to to say about these three guys? Personally, I think maybe Higgins might be a, just a tad low at pick 18. Just a, just a bit. Like I, I can see the trajectory with Joe Burrow. But there's just too many established guys there for him to really do anything. Um, is there anything that stands out with you with these uh, three guys between uh, Chenault, Edwards, and Higgins? I mean, I just wouldn't put Higgins ahead of those guys. Yeah. You know, I just I like the other guy's situation more. It's always about that path to wide receiver one status for me, and I see it with Chenault. Tough competition with DJ Chark, but he's got a gunslinger in Menchu there. Brian Edwards could literally be the wide receiver one there in Vegas come midseason. And T. Higgins has how many guys to compete with? Like, I know that they want Joe Burrow to have his guy to, like, go through this with. But, shit, A.J. Green's there. Tyler Boyd's there. Auden Tate. I know they're getting rid of John Ross after this year. They didn't pick up his option. But John Ross is there right now. Where does T. Higgins get over 50 catches this year? I don't see it. So, yeah, having him at 18, it's going to be a longer road for T. Higgins and a tougher road to, to break out in the NFL than for the other guys ahead of him. So... T Higgins is tough because if you put him in the 2019 class, he's probably the first wide receiver off the board. And here's why is after this year's draft, the 2020 draft, it came out after that the Ravens debated taking T Higgins with their first round pick this year. Uh, I can't remember what it was, 27, 28 or whatever. They debated taking him this year. If he's in the 2019 class, he goes where Hollywood went and he's the first wide receiver off the board. And all of a sudden we have him, he's going in first round of rookie drafts. Mm-hmm. It's just the fact that Kevin mentioned is that there's just so much talent, so many first round wide receivers this year that you you have to just, by default, he just gets pushed back and pushed back and pushed back all the way to when we get to spot 18. And then that, I mean, that's his home right there. Personally, I think T Higgins is on my do not draft list. Uh, there's just guys I like more like this next one, Jordan Love. Uh, I wanted to put Love higher, but can't because he's not going to return immediate value, but I could definitely see him pay off long term. Um, I, I just, I don't, I hate using Patrick Mahomes as an example, but when the Chiefs drafted him in the first round and he didn't play hardly at all his first season, people were writing him off, you know, and, and then you get to training camp and, and team practices and off season and all of a sudden his value skyrocketing because he's torching his own defense in practice. So, and you could see a similar scenario. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I don't. I don't think Jordan loves a Mahomes type of talent. But I, in two quarterback leagues and super flex, I just want to draft Love in the 207 to whatever range he falls below that. You know, it's just there. There are guys on this list that I think I'd I'd rather have him over Brian Edwards. I'd rather have him over him. I think Lavisca Chanel is the guy where I I, I think I make the tough decision, but. Definitely over T. Higgins for me. Anything to add to that? Yeah. Uh, Aaron Rodgers was a late first-round pick and sat behind Brett Favre for three years 
in Green Bay. You mentioned he's not going to return immediate value. Jordan Love, late first round pick this year. Aaron Rodgers, unless he wants to leave or if Green Bay pushes him out, he's not going anywhere either. I can see Jordan Love sitting behind um, uh, Aaron Rodgers for three years. So, like, you can't. He's just you just can't have him any higher. So like we talked about like T. Higgins, you can't have him any higher. Jordan Love, you just can't have him any higher. We're kind of forced here, and these guys are just falling back. It's great value for sure, but you just can't justify having them any higher. Okay. Uh pick twenty, Brandon Ayuk, pick twenty one, Michael Pittman Jr. Pick twenty two, AJ Dillon. Um, I'm gonna have Ayuk over Pittman every day, even though I have been shitting on Brandon Ayuk for the past um two months plus, uh, especially when San Francisco is 31st in pass play percentage uh, per game last year and with along with Debo and unfortunately being attached to Jimmy G, who's not an elite passing quarterback, I just don't think he's really he's really giving you what you want. You know, I think this is a guy who's going to be sitting on your bench. You're going to want to try to find a way to play him, but he's just not doing enough on your roster. So he, he's, he's going to be sitting on your bench the whole time. Um, I like him over Pittman because I'm not a Pittman guy. I think we Chase, you and I have talked about not being as high on Pittman. Just that one one year of production at USC uh, doesn't really doesn't sell me enough on him. And I don't love the Colts landing spot. I think everybody's just crapping their pants over Michael Pittman in Indianapolis. But it, once again, it's Philip Rivers, then Ty, and then Paris Campbell, who they also loved when they drafted him, is there and. Jonathan Taylor's going to be carrying the ball, you know, 15 to 20 times a game. So there's just – I don't see Pittman being this Vincent Jackson comp that they keep talking about. I just – it's just not there for me, and I'm not there. So, all right, uh, Zach Moss at 23. I hate putting Zach Moss ahead of Jalen Hurts at 24. I, I Once again, quarterback, two quarterback leagues, super, super flex. Jalen Hurts will get an opportunity to play on the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, whether that's – when Carson Wentz leaves, which would be, uh, I believe, a year, um, which I think is a good chance of happening. He's also gotten hurt quite a bit, so there will be a chance of him stepping in, and if he dominates, I think he probably takes that role. But, um, yeah, so Zach Moss, 23, Jalen Hurts, 24, Devin Duvernay at 25. We good We good so far? Okay. Yeah. I like Duvernay I at 25. It. Like I love Duvernay there, Duver, too. Duvernay's sneaky, dude. Yeah, he's going <laughs> to dominate the Baltimore slot. Um, good build, a 5'10", 200, 4'3 guy. Sneaky. Lack mm-hmm. of competition there. You know, he's <laughs> – they're not passing the ball a ton, but Marquise Brown's a, the burner, so somebody's got to do underneath stuff. And why not Devin Duvernay, right, especially we, at the third round? Yeah, we were talking about Hollywood last night. Five nine one sixty six NFL wide receiver who plays outside, mind you. He really didn't play in the slot that much. It's just absurd. He's one hundred and sixty six pounds. Twenty six Antonio Gibson. I think we kind of like Gibson. Uh, just a lot of competition there, so um, I, I don't hate him in the third round if you want to take him at this spot. Twenty seven Joshua Kelly. We haven't talked about this guy much. Um, could be the thunder to Eckler's lightning. Eckler's not a three-down back, so someone has to take touches. It's not going to be Justin Jackson. Um, this team's not going to be that – I just don't think this team's going to be that great. I, I Tyrod Taters, Taylor's not good to me. Um, Justin Herbert is a question mark we just talked about. Keenan Allen and uh, Mike Williams both went over 1,000 yards last year. Mike Williams, that that blew my mind. I completely forgot that Mike Williams went over 1,000. Um, but Joshua Kelly, I mean, I know he's a later-round pick, but they've got to have a guy that's going to run up the middle, so – uh, why not Joshua Kelly in the third round? Uh, let's see. Anthony McFarland at pick 28. Van Jefferson at 29. Still think that's a weird pick for the Rams. Uh, just not quite on board with that, but they took him, so we have to consider it. I don't think he's better than Josh Reynolds. I, even, I actually don't even think he he plays a whole lot year one. And then Adam Troutman at 30. Hey, we got a tight end that made the yeah. list. We got a tight, tight end. end. Yeah. Woo-hoo-hoo. Uh, New Orleans, great spot. I mean, he's clearly the best tight end of the class. I think this is is a great spot for him to land. I, I mean, pick thirty, pick thirty. You know, end of your third your, uh, your third round and 10, 10 team. Um, so I, I like Adam Troutman. I don't know enough about him, but it sounds like across the league, across the community, that this is a this is a good spot for Adam Troutman in New Orleans. So, uh, Adam Troutman, 
What do you think? Hey, where's where's second round pick Chase Claypool at? <laughs> Why isn't he on this list? Didn't make the cut. Yeah, the, it, the Steelers are really good at finding wide receiver talent. I know. I hate that narrative too. I I I didn't want to put Claypool in this list because I'm not a believer. He is a monster of a human being, but. Juju's there, Deontay Johnson's there, James Washington's been established uh, in that offense. I just don't know. Like, why are people so high on Chase Claypool? I do. I literally do not get it. He sure third round pick, go for it. That's fine. We go. We go across this list between Gibson, Kelly, McFarland, Jefferson, Troutman. You could take Claypool there. I wouldn't hate you for it. I'm not going to give you shit. But I'm not drafting Chase Claypool whatsoever in any of my drafts. All right, we've got some listener questions to uh, finish off the show tonight. This one's by Johnny BG underscore. Who do you like for the AFC wildcard spots this year? Kevin, I'm throwing to you. Yeah, there's a lot of teams that, I mean, the AFC is kind of not wide open, but I feel like there's more competition for these wildcard spots than than maybe in the NFC where those kind of are, are maybe a little bit more hand-picked. We like Denver. Uh, we like Houston. We like Miami. So Miami. we said that there was a little tease about Miami. Mm. If all things go to plan and and what with what they've built, it's a pretty easy road for Miami this season. I, I haven't looked at their strength of schedules. I know those came out once the schedule was released. But if you just think about who they play twice a year, um, everybody but Buffalo in that division doesn't scare me. So they get the Jets, they get the Patriots, and you know that defense is going to be tough and and tough for Tua to go there to New England and Foxborough and, and win. But Miami, probably pretty easy schedule. And, I mean, we should be looking this up before we go on the air and talk about it. But I, we just like Miami and what they've built. Like, shit. They, there's an extra spot this season with the the seventh playoff spot added and another wild card. Um, AFC East is an easy division. The Texans, that division's pretty cake, too. They got one of the worst teams in the league in Jacksonville in there. And then Denver, you know, Bryce, obviously you know, a Bronco fan, if the Drew Locke experience does work, you know, if they finish with nine wins or eight wins, that could be good enough to get into the end of the playoffs this year. So um, with what they had last year, without the offensive portion of that team at all, really, you know, it was Philip Lindsay and, and Cortland Sutton coming on at the end of the year. That was it. You know, if the offense turns it on and, and turns into one of the top 15, top 20 offenses that Bryce certainly hopes that it could be Denver is, a pretty solid pick, I think, to to make the postseason. Um, tougher division, though, I will say that. Uh, as far as a lot of teams are pretty even in that division, I, I'd put the Raiders right there. People are shitting on the Chargers. They have the best secondary in the NFL, and that goes a long way in a passing league right now. So, um, And obviously, Kansas City is Kansas City. So those are our three right now. I don't know if you guys had any different ones. Bryce whipped this up today, and I thought it was pretty spot on with what I was thinking the AFC also. I uh, I love Miami. As one of these teams, you look at that division. It's so yeah, it's yeah. so doable for them. You know, they add three very key defensive players um, in the draft, and they added Byron Jones, Kyle Van Oy, Shaq Lawson, Eric Flowers. These are all guys, all guys with names that we all recognize, even if we're not diving into defense too much. Um, and I like them better than the Jets. I like them better than the Pats. Buffalo is their only challenge, and you could see them. Giving Buffalo a run for their money. How wild would it be if Miami came out on top in that division? You could see it. It's doable. I don't think that they will beat Buffalo, but there is a scenario where you could totally see it. And we were we will go down um, through the NFL schedules next week on next week's pod, and uh, we can we can kind of break this down a little bit more. Chase, is there any any other team that you think we're forgetting here? Real quick, sorry to jump in. So I'm talking about strength of schedule. <laughs> like, can I hit the rewind button? Miami has the third toughest schedule in the NFL <laughs> this year. But right ahead of them, New England and the Jets. But what I'm saying is, like, New England, it, it's based off of opponents' combined record in 2019. And if you take New England out of there, um, you know, Buffalo, we expect to be good. I haven't taken a look at their schedule to see who they play. But everybody in the AFC East is in the top five here. So, you know, things change. Crazy shit happens. I know in the past couple seasons, um, some teams have been up there and strength the schedule and how it kind of plays out is they end up like in the middle or so. And that's what I see with the AFC East, you know, like the Jets are going to be bad. 
because they're the Jets. The Pats, people are projecting four wins from them. Bad. You know, I don't think Miami is going to be one of those bad teams out of the AFC East this year. I just, I just can't see it with all the moves that they've made. So for me, the sneaky team that nobody's talking about, um, I think mainly because Baltimore has obviously taken over that division, is Pittsburgh. They've been good for a long time. And Mike Tomlin is a great coach. And he got hosed with Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown. Uh, basically forcing their way out of town. Somehow Pittsburgh, when you think about it, they were like terrible last year. Somehow they went eight and eight um, with Mason Rudolph and Devlin Hodges <laughs> playing the most important position Duck. on the team, quarterback. And they went eight and eight. If you turn two of those games into wins, you're sitting at 10 and six and uh, you basically have a wildcard spot locked up. So I, I really like Pittsburgh in 2020, even though they drafted fucking Chase Claypool. <laughs> <laughs> God, imagine if they would have spent that on something that they needed. Yeah. Jesus. But they're they're like sneaky. Nobody's talking about Pittsburgh. Juju's in trouble. <laughs> Big Ben should be back. Hopefully. That's the worry is that. His elbow, right? I mean, the guy basically missed all season. His elbow or whatever could just be shot. <laughs> and maybe, maybe hey, whoa, Devlin whoa, you Hodges saw him. was the answer. Didn't you He's see that than... video of, uh, of him lobbing footballs in that gym? He looks pretty good to me if you if... – you know, I don't, I don't know. What... Big Ben doesn't exercise in the offseason. He came out and said it. I'd be shocked if he's off his couch before fucking June. Guy's going to die soon. <laughs> oh, my God. He's just he's just a beaten up see, old man. Dude, when Bleach Report put that out, I, I'm sure everybody saw it. People that are listening to the pod was like, like, Ben Roethlisberger said his best workout is not working out in the offseason. Like, <laughs> he's drinking a beer and hanging out on the couch. Like, he's one of the boys. To work? Yeah, he's just like one of you guys. And then I see Russell Wilson, like, literally practicing the throw that he's throwing to the locket in the back of the, like, over a goalpost and soccer goals and shit. I'm like, Big Ben, have a little bit of effort. Like, put a little bit in. The team is still good. Chase, you want them to be 9-7? and seven? You want them to be 8-8? Eight and eight? You want them to make the playoffs? He's eating cheeseburgers, shoving <laughs> shit down his bearded, mangled-looking, half-an-ass. Dude, he looks like he's on Castaway right now. He looks like Tom Hanks on <laughs> Castaway. He looks like shit. He doesn't care. Oh, COVID, perfect. I could just sit here and just get fat. Like, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to call him up and be like, shit, we should have drafted Hurts. We should have listened to Tutty Talk because our quarterback is too fat right now. It reminds me of that. Russell Wilson's just a sweat, though, dude. You know, yeah, he's got, he, he probably has a blindfold on. He's getting blasted <laughs> by a fire hose. Practicing <laughs> these touch pass corner, touchdown throw. It's like, it reminds me of when Andrew Luck came off this the shoulder surgery, and during the rehab, there's a like a video of him carrying like a toddler in his arms, and people are like, oh, shit! He can carry things, dude. Let's stock up. Start buying Andrew Luck while you can. Oh, man. I I just, yeah. Um, next question. Next listener question from Harry Ed 17 I think we know this guy, right? I think he's in one of our leagues. I don't know, I don't know Harrison that well. Um, he is a new guy uh, that we decided to include in one of our other dynasty leagues that we started this year. And he asked, will Bucks players underperform because their 5,000-yard, 30-touchdown-throwing quarterback is gone? I see you, Harrison. I see how you conveniently left out the 30 INTs that went along with that. Uh, but that doesn't really matter here, does it? Because Chris Godwin finished at number two. Mike Evans is in the top ten. You know, if we had to choose an underperformer on this offense, I don't think we're choosing Godwin. Um. I want to say it's probably Mike Evans, but yeah, I think I've got to go with Mike Evans. I think that that's the only guy that might actually underperform. I think when we look at his finish from last year and we're going to compare it to this next season, I think it's going to be lower on on you know lower than it than it usually is. And I, I think you know Godwin fits that uh, Julian Edelman type of guy that that Tom Brady loves to rely on. And and we forget about Gronk. You know, Gronk's there too. So Evans, if someone has to underperform, it's going to be Mike Evans. They're going to move on from him. And so are fantasy football players. I think uh, uh, dynasty owners are looking to move Mike Evans now. I think that everyone's kind of consensusly is, if that, is that even a word? Um, but uh, I think we all kind of feel similar about Mike Evans and, and what the 2020 season is going to look like. So I have a loaded answer to this. I'm going to 
try to sort through it all because I think it's super important. There's a whole bunch of different factors that play into why I think that a majority, I agree with you and Chris Godwin, but a majority of Bucks players are going to underperform. The first thing is that Tampa Bay, just off the rip, they're going to be a better team in 2020 than they were in 2019. Vegas has them set at nine and a half wins, which is the sixth best team in the NFL. Why does that matter? Well, it matters for game script. Jameis Winston was number one in the NFL in pass attempts uh, in 2019, mainly because Tampa was always trailing in the second half and they were playing catch up with the passing game. So in 2020, the passing game volume should decrease. Um, Tampa should be, the, according to Vegas, the sixth best team in the NFL. They should be running the ball late in the fourth and in, in the third quarter to run out the clock if they're as good as Vegas predicts. The second thing about Jameis versus Brady is that I don't see Tom Brady, 43-year-old Tom Brady, being number one in the NFL in passing yards, number one in the NFL in air yards, number one in the NFL in attempt distance, number one in the NFL in danger plays. Why is danger plays? Why why danger plays? Danger plays shows Jameis Winston's YOLO mentality, basically, in that he will attempt to throw it into any window possible trying to feed Chris Godwin or Mike Evans. Um, Can Tom Brady be decent? Like top 15, yeah, but the data shows that he's losing his abilities. Last year, Tom Brady was number 25 in accuracy rating, number 33 in production premium, and 17 in true passer rating. So he's like falling off a cliff for our eyes. Can I have you pause for a second? Do you think that, let's just take some of the context from New England, that because they had limited weapons that that could have played into that? So yes, but the, the what production premium does is it basically puts everyone in a vac in a vacuum in similar situations and com- and compares on a similar playing field. What were you doing? And he was thirty third in the NFL. Um, so the next thing is, although like Jameis throws a shit ton of picks, uh, as I mentioned, it's his yo his YOLO mentality that partly boosted Godwin more so Evans, but. It's that fearless, I don't really give a shit. Uh, Brady just doesn't do that. He's turned into a game manager. And now when you add in as well, Brady's favorite tight end, tight end target of all time, Rob Gronkowski, we're just you're looking at a dip in volume for all the Bucks, all the Bucks passers. There's gonna be less targets to go around, lower, uh, lower passing volume. I mentioned Mike Evans. This stat is just completely bonkers to me. In 2019, 54% of Mike Evans' fantasy points came in three weeks. Oh, damn. He scored 123.8 fantasy points in weeks three, eight, and nine, and 230 on the season. So 54% came in three weeks. He's turned into this boom-bust kind of guy, and his boom-bust quarterback is gone. We know that Tom Brady likes to target the slot, so this is why I'm favoring Chris Godwin. Chris Godwin is the best receiver on on Tampa's team. He's better than Mike Evans. Mm-hmm. Not really worried about not worried about Chris Godwin. Brady loves the slot. He's going to feed him. It's Mike Evans that that is just blowing my mind where he's going. There's a certain um, calculator out there that has Mike Evans as the dynasty wide receiver number six, and it is just absolutely. Insane to me. It kind of makes insane. It kind of makes Keyshawn Vaughn a little more appealing, right? You know, yeah. With the you talked about efficiency with Tom Brady, you know, I think they're going to establish the run a little bit more in that offense. I think that that's something they lacked last year, um, and it's going to be really interesting to see how that team plays out. I can't wait to find out who who d- does what in that offense uh, for twenty twenty. Can't wait. Yeah. At that price, too, at that Mike Evans price, that is one of the biggest sells in the history of dynasty fantasy football, selling Mike Evans at wide receiver number six. It's just it's just disgusting. It's disgusting. Okay, next listener question and last listener question for tonight. Um, we've got some other stuff we can, we can save for next week. Um, Tony S., who is the Darren Waller of 2020? Late round tight ends with top five upside. On our list, we have Mike Gusecki, Hayden Hurst, and Tyler Higby. Tyler Higby was a late add onto this list, uh, mainly because I think we look at 2020 and we looked at what he did last year at the end of the season. It's hard to ignore 
what he did. You know, you go for 100 yards multiple times in the last five weeks, and you've got to consider him as a top candidate for this list. Now, that might play into effect for seasonal drafts. People are going to know that Higby did so well at the end of the year if they had picked him up on their waiver wire, and he might go earlier because of that reason. So that makes Mike Gusecki and Hayden Hurst almost even better for this question, right? Because Hayden Hurst is now going to Atlanta to fill the Austin Hooper shoes. He, I mean, he wasn't terrible in, in Baltimore. He just wasn't getting any volume. He was hurt. And Mike Gusecki is one of the most athletic, you know, tight ends in the league. So I, I'm going to let Chase handle this one because I know he's a, a Gusecki guy. Do you, do you have anything on Gusecki? So the guy I actually was going to talk about was Hayden Hurst. Oh, all right, um, great. This is my because guy. Because he's a bigger he's a bigger steal and even a better late round option. Currently, according to 2020 average draft position, Hayden Hurst is going as the tight end 24. The tight end 24. Last year in 2019, Darren Waller went as the tight end 21. Hayden Hurst is going after guys like Irv Smith, Greg Olson, Kyle Rudolph, Vance McDonald. And he has legit tight end one upside. Bryce, you mentioned that, you know, he actually wasn't that, he's not bad. Baltimore didn't use him. They literally didn't use him, so they traded him to Atlanta. He only ran a route on 32.5% of his snaps, which was 38th in the the NFL. And across the course of the 2019 season, he had 40 targets. That's it. 36 in the NFL. Now he's going to Atlanta because Austin Hooper's in Cleveland, and Austin Hooper is vacating 97 targets Hmm. and atlanta literally added no one i mean they have julio they have calvin ridley and name their third wide receiver russell gage um that or olamidius zach olamidius zacchius yeah i don't know how to pronounce the name yep so those 97 targets is he going to get exactly 97 no we know that it's not fucking year to year whatever he he can see around 100 targets the interesting thing is that he was actually really, really good in his limited action with Baltimore. Uh, he was number seven in fantasy points per route one, per route run, which is actually better than Austin Hooper, and number eleven in fantasy points per target. Even though he finished as tight end thirty four, it's just insane value. Tight end twenty four for a guy who's going to see around hundred targets and has legit tight end one upside. Great question, Tony S. Um... Tight ends are always fun late round, late rounders, and uh, I think I think these three are great candidates uh, for for the twenty twenty season. And Kevin and Chase are laughing at me, and they're muted, and I don't know why. So it'd be pretty cool if they could unmute themselves and and share with the podcast what they're laughing about. All right, so next week we're gonna go over NFL schedules, matchups, who's got the tough schedules, who's got the easy ones, how that's gonna work with fantasy. Maybe we'll throw some projections in there. We got some stuff we didn't get to cover um, tonight on our sheet, and we'll go over that as well because there's some good stuff um, betting-wise that we need to cover as well. So make sure to go follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're on Apple Podcasts now. We're we're here. We've made it. We're, we're just looking for, for more people to send us more questions. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff out there. We're willing to answer it all. So send it our way, and uh, we'll talk to you with you next week.